And uh, I have a question as we begin our, our message this morning is, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Just blurt it out. Elf. Elf. Yeah, I knew Emily was going to say Elf. What's that? <laughs> oh, but that's not, that's not a Christmas movie. But yes, congratulations to Burroughs High School for having been in the championship game. Uh, they came up a little bit short on Friday, but uh, boy, what an exciting season that they had. But getting back to Christmas movies. A Christmas Carol. A Wonderful Life. What's that? Miracle on 32nd Street. 32nd or 34th? 34th, yes. One of my favorite movies. The black and white version. And I like the colored version as well. Any other favorite Christmas? Polar Express. All right. The, okay. Uh, video venue, you need to hear this one. It was John Marcano that said, the Grinch that stole Christmas. <laughs> oh, classic. Okay. Well, there are a lot of movies. You probably watch a movie a night between now and uh, December 25, and not run out of all the Christmas movies that are out there. Well, uh, this morning we're starting a new series, and the new series is kind of loosely associated with the Christmas story. Someone mentioned the Christmas story, and that the, the Christ, or the Christmas Carol. And it has an, an, an awesome, awesome message. And so this is, this series is kind of a, a spinoff from, of that, that movie. But, uh, you know, as you watch that movie and, uh, you think about the season today, um, Christmas isn't, um, a happy occasion for everybody. Some people are really going through some hard stuff or some hard things have occurred in their past and it is hard to uh, celebrate and their past and their insecurities kind of overshadow the joy that they should be feeling. And that was Ebenezer Scrooge. I don't know if you, you're probably familiar with the story, but uh, Ebenezer Scrooge was a very cold-hearted man. And uh, as you read the book or if you were to watch the, the movie, um, he was haunted by his past. Uh, he had shame. He, he experienced shame in his present presence in his present time, and, and uh, he, was, um, he was fearful of his future based on the, the ghost that had, had um, uh, met him, uh, come to him that in the middle of night. And this was, this was Christmas Eve. And, um, and he was embarrassed by the labels that uh, every other people had uh, had placed upon him. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. We're going to be looking at the, the issue of forgiveness today. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the the issue of shame that's, that's, that occurs in our life when we're, we're, when we're, 
we feel bad, we're guilty about the, the things that we, we've done in our lives. And then we're going to be looking at labels of uh, the, the last week, uh, the third week of uh, Sunday of this month. Of this, of this month. But um, I just want you to go back to the movie for a moment. And uh, if you remember Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, it was it was Christmas Eve, and it was a joyous occasion. Everybody was singing. There was there was life. There was joy. Uh, there was charity. People were being generous. But then you have little old Ebenezer, you know, this crotchety old man who has encapsulated himself from all the Christmas celebration around him. He is just totally um, into himself. His life is all about business and self-preservation. He, he never has found the time to celebrate Christmas. He thinks Christmas is a wasted day that people should be working to uh, be earning money. And it's so foolish to buy useless gifts that nobody wants um, and just to take the day off. He, it was bah humbug to him. Now... My family is, we're, we're going to um, Disneyland in February. Jan, oh, we're going in January. And my dear family gave me a special gift for that occasion. And I don't know if you can read it here, but it says, Grumpy is the new happy. And they want me to wear this to Disneyland on that day. I'm not sure how I'm to feel about this gift. I don't consider myself grumpy. So, and, so should I be offended by the message? Or should I be offended by the size? <laughs> Look at the size of three family members can fit in, adult family members can fit into this shirt simultaneously. So I think I have something to forgive uh, as well as I uh, consider this uh, this shirt. Well, Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge was a uh, he was a crotchety old man, and he was shaped by his past. Uh, if you remember the story, um, Ebenezer Scrooge grew up in a boarding school. His mother died uh, giving birth to Ebenezer. And dad always held it against Ebenezer. And so because of that, dad didn't want to have anything to do with his son. And he kept him in boarding school all through his education years. When the other children would go home and celebrate Christmas with their families, Ebenezer was uh, at the boarding school reading a book, um, and the staff there was, uh, was taking care of Ebenezer. And so <clears throat> that relationship and, and the experience of, of Christmas uh, just soured him. And so his whole life, he was either work, reading or working hard, never having time to celebrate. 
And it was his past that shaped his present. Christmas isn't joyful for everyone. And for some people, it's because of their past. And when it comes to Christmas, um, it just has a tendency of leading to uh, depression. And for some people, they commit suicide at this time of year because it is so difficult. They don't have anyone to truly celebrate with. I just want us to consider this series over the next three weeks. What if God could do something different? What if, what if Christmas could look different for you? That you don't let the past haunt your present. That you no longer have to feel shamed. And you're not going to live by the labels that others put on you. You are going to pay attention to what the word says in your life. I, I just want to encourage us this morning that we're going to be looking at the issue of forgiveness. And if you're struggling with something in your life and you're having a difficult time forgiving, as a Christian, you have no alternative. The Bible says that you must forgive. And so I just want to encourage us this morning to lean hard into what the word says this morning and apply the word to our life. You know, I heard it said here just a few weeks ago that uh, the devil doesn't mind you reading the Bible. The devil doesn't mind you knowing the Bible. But the devil gets upset when we apply God's word. And if this is an area of your life that you're struggling with, and it has kind of made the, the season rather heavy in your life, I just want you to lean in heavy, hard on this issue of forgiveness. And there's a current subject that I want to address as well. Because I believe that there are some silent sufferers in our church. And there is a topic going on in the media today that has just blown up. And the topic is sexual abuse, uh, sexual harassment, Sexual assault. I mean, it is, it is everywhere. And I want you to know that I was committed to preaching this series and preaching this sermon today before Tuesday when the story of Matt Lauer came out. Matt Lauer, a, a, a morning news icon, was fired for inappropriate behavior. And some of you, there, there are people in this church, I'm convinced, that are the victims of uh, sexual harassment or assault or whatever. And you're suffering silently. I mean, you're seeing this news all over the media, and it is resurrecting up those, those old 
those old hurts that you try to forget. Forget. And so I know that this is the Christmas season. You might think I'm nuts for approaching this topic today. But uh, I, wanna, I want us to see at the conclusion of this message how it all ties in to Christmas. But the remedy, the remedy for healing and allowing you to experience the joy of Christmas, the answer is forgiveness. You have to be willing to do what the, what the Bible tells you to do. And I know that might be really, really hard. Look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Proverbs 19, 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. We need to be willing to overlook an offense. I need to be willing to overlook an offense, all right, and not take it so seriously. Now, for a lot of us, when it comes to being offended, it's, it's little things. But even in little things, church, we need to give people space who have offended us and not harbor every little thing that takes place in our lives. Proverbs 19.11 says, It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Now, if in overlooking an offense, that is not the same as pretending like it never happened. And those, for those of you who have been deeply wounded, and we're going to go there in just a moment, I'm not saying that you need to pretend like it never happened. What do you do in that situation? But for little things, we can't afford for those little things to get the best of us. Your life is too short. Your calling is too great to let something that has hurt you keep you off track and live offended. The Bible wants us to be people who forgive. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2. Paul says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Because of your love. Nobody's perfect here in this room. And we all make mistakes. And sometimes we may offend somebody else. Paul says, you know what? When I offend somebody else, I didn't mean to offend somebody. I hope that they give me a little bit of space. You know, that they, they, uh, they're making an allowance. For each other's faults. That's what you and I need to do. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 13. The Bible says, Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
And that's probably a little easier for minor offenses. But in bigger issues like the one I just mentioned, there are some deep-seated wounds in this room. And you are a silent sufferer. You don't feel like you can tell anybody about it. How do you forgive? How can you get past that? Because this is something that you've been dealing with for years. I want to introduce you to um, someone in our church who's uh, new to our church, Tiffany Lewis. Maybe you've met her, maybe you haven't. But uh, if uh, you don't know Tiffany, um, uh, Tiffany has awesome pedigree. <laughs> she is the granddaughter of Pastor and Pastor Glenn and Aline Payton. And uh, she's living in Ridgecrest right now, and she is a marriage and family uh, therapist. She comes with uh, many years of experience, and she's been uh, working primarily in El Salvador, uh, doing counseling down there, but has come to uh, Ridgecrest and is uh, working under uh, my wife, Susan, and trying to finish up her hours. She, her hours may already be finished up. I mean, she's got lot. She has to have 3,000 hours, clinical hours. And uh, she's done that more in El Salvador, but it may not um, transfer. All those hours may not transfer to the United States. And so she's under uh, Susan's license and uh, working on her hours. But... Um, Tiffany is very familiar with um, deep wounds that people have gone through. And, and she has a couple stories that she wants to share. And so I, I want her to uh, share this morning uh, about forgiveness. And uh, next week she's going to come back and uh, she's going to be talking about shame a little bit. But uh, please welcome Tiffany Lewis. Thank you. Um, if you can forgive my voice, I'm getting over a cold. Um, Bill asked me to share uh, if I had any stories of forgiveness. And in El Salvador, it's currently um, one of the most violent countries in the world, the most murders per capita. And there is so much hurt there. Um, but I had two specifically that came to mind. Um, and one I'm going to tell you this morning um, I'm for confidentiality reasons. I'm not going to share the name of this young woman I want to share about. Um, but I met her when I was working in a women's shelter there. And I think of her as, as my little porcupine. She grew up mostly in a government facility. She was taken away from her home as a baby. Um, after her mom literally threw her away in the trash. And, um, the, the way she protected herself in there is, uh, she got aggressive with her words or with her fists, it didn't matter. But when she was scared and she needed to protect herself, she became the porcupine. All those needles went up, so people got scared. And when she was in this women's shelter, um, when she was most scared, people were most frightened of her. Uh, a lot of problems centered around around this, this young woman. Um, 
and she had so much hurt she carried. She, she, the government did try to send her home a, a few times growing up, and she actually requested to go back because it was so bad. And and some of those um, hardships had to do with her mom still treating her uh, that she didn't want her and treating her bad and refusing to protect her from um, <clears throat> sexual assaults from a family member as well. Um, when I met her, she was 18 and um, just desperate for help, but refusing to look at her past. She wasn't going to look at it. it. She thought she was, she was better off. She was done. Didn't want to think about it. Didn't want to deal with it. And um, clearly, all the all the problems revolving around her every week showed that she was not. And so I, we worked on other things, but I also tried to share with her that these these burdens and hurts she was carrying with her, she was dragging them with her as though they were tied to her and, and bringing her down. And um, even if she didn't look at them, they were still affecting her as she dragged them through life. And 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 one day she decided she was ready to work on it. And when we had uh, a great breakthrough. Uh, the next couple of weeks and she was thrilled and she told me how how great she felt and I was celebrating for her and she said she said I'm done we're great and I looked at her and I was both thrilled and heartbroken because um I had felt like she had climbed to the top of an anthill and it was the best she had experienced on the top of this anthill and she was satisfied and done with that and I'm like no there's a mountain for you to reach and see on top of and she just um she was satisfied with that, and she, she didn't want to talk about it anymore, didn't want to deal with it. Um, and so we worked on other issues, and a few months later, she she took a trip home uh, for a couple days to visit family, and I was expecting another, you know, tough story for her to share when, when we met again after the visit. And I have never been so impacted uh, by any of my time with her as in this session because she came back and she shared about how she felt God had put it on her heart that she needed to forgive her mom. And she told her mom on that trip that she forgave her for all she's done, for the terrible way she's treated her all her life. Um, and as she told me this story, she was so proud and felt so free. Um, and I can tell you that looking at pictures of this young woman... I can see from the pictures if it's before or after this moment from the freedom in her face and and how she carries herself and that hardness in her eyes and everything is is gone. It's a physical difference that it's made in her and it was such a privilege to work through her on that. Uh, Bill asked if I had any uh, verses that I would share uh, on forgiveness and I chose an odd one for you guys this morning. I, there are so many verses that talk specifically about forgiveness, about uh, putting away our anger and all that. But I chose I chose a very different one, and I and this spawns from all the work I saw um, and the phrases people repeated to me as they they learned to forgive and become free. It's Galatians five one, and it says, "It is for freedom that Christ has set us free." Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by the yoke of slavery. And in here, the yoke of slavery is referring to all the um, 
the characteristics of flesh and um, and the ways of the world. Um, and it shows that there's a choice that we can live under the slavery or we can choose to be free. And it is amazing to be free. So I think when I think of forgiveness and I think of the freedom that people find when they're able to finally let go and be free. Thanks. Thank you, Tiffany. You know, as we go through this series, and this um, this topic is resonating with you, and you're a silent sufferer. Now, I want Emmanuel Baptist Church to be a safe zone where you can be vulnerable and share share your hurts, and know that you're not going to be judged. Um, the life group study for uh, this week is on forgiveness. I want to encourage you to go to your life group, not to avoid a uh, life group this week because this is too this is too hard for you. You need the others who are in that life group. And you may not feel comfortable in sharing everything and that's okay. We don't judge you. But you need to find somebody that you can trust and um, learn to to forgive. How do you get past this? You can keep rehearsing it over and over and over and over, and it's not going to get any better. Or you can release it. Let it go. And just know that when you let it go, it's not going to suddenly go away. You've got to keep releasing it. talked about this subject uh, uh, several months ago, and I used the illustration of uh, a bell tower and um, the tolling of a bell. And you know what it's like to try to toll a really big bell. You keep yanking and yanking on that rope, and you keep yanking until it finally begins to ring. And as long as you're yanking on that rope, that bell is going to ring. But with forgiveness, if you want to let it go, you want to be free, and you let go of that rope, guess what? That bell still continues to toll. And every time it tolls, it's another opportunity to forgive, to let it go. But as long as you're let go of the rope, guess what? That bell is going to become less and less and less. And it won't have a grasp of your mind like it has had. I want to go back to a statement I said just a moment ago. Overlooking an offense is not the same as pretending it never happened. We're talking about some deep wounds. And, um, you know, this week as I was preparing this message, I got, I got on Twitter and, uh, I saw a lot of the, 
uh, tweets from um, people who um, have suffered uh, from sexual abuse or sexual assault or or harassment, and it's hashtag me too. It would be good for you to read those hashtags. I mean, the stories are um, really sad. But not only is there a me too hashtag, but there's a church too hashtag. And those are people who have been victimized in the church. And uh, I just want to read this next statement because I don't want to be misunderstood as uh, we conclude this message. This message is entitled Forgiveness. But by no means do I want to be misconstrued that by encouraging forgiveness, I'm enabling evil behavior and potentially silencing a voice that needs to be heard. Yes, you need to forgive. But it may be something that you need to report so that evil is not enabled. Forgiveness is an important part of the healing process, but sexual abuse harassment must stop, and that requires the perpetrator be exposed so that the proper repentance and disciplinary measures can occur. Oftentimes, when this happens in an individual's life, victims are silenced. And they suffer silently. I want you to think about this for a minute. Perpetrators, primarily men, and, and, and just know this. If, if you're a victim, you're suffering silently. Not all men are bad. This is a small minority. And don't let your experience jade you in defining that all men are the same. There are a lot of good men out there that can be trusted. But when it comes to the predator, the perpetrator, uh, primarily men, they're in influential, powerful positions that like to take advantage of others, men and women's vulnerability. Victims of assault, harassment are thrown into highly awkward, painful, life-altering circumstances that many can't afford to go public in fear of losing everything. So they suffer in silence. And I want you to know this morning... That's not your fault. It's not because of what you were wearing or how you were coming across. The perpetrator knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew that you were vulnerable. And he had power over your life. You want to be free? You've got to forgive. 
You've got to let it go. But you don't have to pretend like it never happened. If there's reporting that needs to take place, allow God to use that in that perpetrator's life. And if you're too scared to go public, we don't judge you either. But just know that God knows what you're going through. And he cares about where you're at. And justice will prevail. Now to the church. What would God have us do as a Christian community on this issue? I want you to look at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. Uh, the prophet Amos was speaking uh, to uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. And they were being judged with uh, other people groups around them. But uh, this is what God speaks through Amos in chapter 5. God is judging them for their hypocrisy. Okay? This is what... This is what God says through Amos. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. I don't think that there is a whole lot of justice and righteous living in the church today. I want to read you an article that uh, I came across yesterday. It was posted on the, the Gospel Coalition's website uh, Friday. It's uh, written by Joe Carter. I'm not going to read the whole ar- article, but I want to encourage you to go and read the whole. It's a really good article. The title of the article is The Nonpartisan Solution to Our Roy Moore Problem. I'm just going to read the first part to you. If you want to see the future of the Christian conservative politics, you need to know about Wesley Goodman. Goodman is a married 33-year-old family values conservative elected to the Ohio legislature last year. He had previously worked as an aide for a conservative congressman and served managing director of the Conservative Action Project and a lot of other things. Earlier this month, Goodman resigned from the legislature after he was caught engaging in inappropriate behavior with a man at his office. And it doesn't seem to have been an isolated occurrence. Goodman had reportedly exchanged um, 
not very nice text with gay men he met on Capitol Hill. Uh, sent very uh, suggestive things. And, um, and people were too intimidated to publicly complain. One young man did complain. Two years ago, Goodman allegedly invited an 18-year-old college student to his hotel and attempted to do something inappropriate. The young man's parents notified Goodman's boss, the head of the Council for National Policy, who promised to take action. Goodman was dismissed from the CMP two months later, but when he ran for public office, the pro-family Christian leaders never notified the people of Ohio that they might be electing a sexual predator. Looking back, it's obvious these evangelical leaders turned a blind eye to a sexually predatory politician and they were ahead of the curve. As we have discovered over the past two years, so long as the flawed candidate can be considered the lesser of two evils, that is, not a Democrat, then some evangelicals believe we can vote for them and keep a clean conscience. There's a lot more to read. But that's exactly what is happening in the state of Alabama uh, this month. I want you to know, church, that as your pastor, I too am guilty of hypocrisy. Because I stood before you last year in the month of October at this time as we were facing uh, an election. And we, our choice, we didn't have a really good choice, did we? And I decided that, well, the decision I would, I would just choose the lesser of two evils. And I decided that I wasn't going to vote for the person. I was going to vote for the, the policies. I was voting for the, 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 uh, I was voting for his vice president. And I was being a hypocrite. And, you know, it's not my vote that got, you know, our president into office. I, I know that. And we have exactly who we deserve today. Now, understand, it's God, our sovereign God, who has put our president into office. And we have a responsibility to pray for him, that God would give him wisdom. But if it came down to the choice again, um, uh, Joe Carter, who wrote this article, he, he suggests convictional inaction. And if you've got two candidates and neither one of them are a good choice, the best thing to do would not vote at all for the person in that office. And if we, if the evangelical block would take that kind, would have that kind of conviction, 
the political climate across our nation would change in five to six years. But it requires a majority of, con- of Christians to have that kind of con- conviction. But there are, are, are political leaders out there that don't believe that the, the church has that kind of courage. I didn't have that kind of courage. Church, we have a responsibility to defend the weaker vessel. To defend the marginalized. To defend the, um, the vulnerable. First Peter chapter three, verse seven. Bible, Peter describes the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, that does not mean that the woman is inferior or any less or, or anything else. She is equal uh, in the eyes of God as a man. But there are some areas in a woman's life or a young man's life where they are vulnerable. And as men, we're... As we're coming up through the years, we're vulnerable too. But there's a comes a point when we outgrow that vulnerability. Example would be me walking around the block. I, I, you know, I'm on my exercise kick again, and I walk at night. I'm, 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 I'm doing the walk of shame in the middle of darkness so that nobody can see me. And uh, you know what? As I walk eight, nine o'clock at night. I don't see any women out there. If I do see a woman out there, she's got a flashlight and a great big dog, okay? But I'll see men walking out there. Why? Because they're not as fear, they're not fearful, um, walking out at night. My wife, if she were to have the opportunity to walk alone or not, she wouldn't take that opportunity. That's what Paul is, or Peter is referring to as the weaker vessel. There are areas of a woman's life that they're vulnerable that men are not susceptible to. And guess what, guys? We need to take a strong stand for the weaker vessel. We need to defend them. We need to protect them. Men, you need to raise up your boys to protect the women around them. Not take advantage of them, but care for them. Nurture them. This is our moral responsibility. Amos chapter 5, verse 24. God wants to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. And it begins with the church. And for a big majority of the church, it's not happening today. I, for one, don't want to live in hypocrisy any longer. If there is not a viable candidate that has the moral character and integrity to lead, if we don't have that option, I am not going to vote for them. I am going to trust God that he is going to provide that man or woman to lead this nation. 
Now, how does this relate to Christmas? <laughs> Merry Christmas, church. Well, I want you to know it does relate. How? That's a good question. Jesus came in the middle of the night, in the darkness, and was born in a stable, in a filthy, smelly environment that symbolized the sinful nature of this world. Jesus came at the, into the most humble of means to identify with humanity. And if you're here this morning and you're a victim of that filthy, sinful humanity, Jesus knows. Jesus knows what it's like to be violated. Jesus knows what it's like to be humiliated. Jesus knows what it means to be stripped both emotionally and physically and be nailed to a cross and die for our sin. This is Christmas. Jesus has come into this world to redeem humanity, to set people free. And when we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't, but you can forgive to help me to forgive. As you experience God's incredible forgiveness in your life, and he has forgiven you of a whole lot. Nobody's perfect in this place. And just as he has forgiven us of our sin, Paul says, now we need to be willing to forgive others. Why? Because Jesus wants to set you free. Forgiveness is free. But forgiveness isn't cheap. It costs Jesus his life. And it may cost you something. But it's only through forgiveness that Jesus is going to set you free. And forgiveness is the very best gift that you can give somebody else this Christmas season and you can forgive to yourself. Just understand, as you forgive, that doesn't mean you're not going to forget and that bell is going to continue to ring of the pain of your experience, but as you let it go, you release it, the sound of that bell will become less and less. Maybe you're here in the service this morning and you're not the victim, you're the predator, you're the perpetrator. And your past is haunting you. Because just as these other people have come out of the woodwork to say, me too, 
you're afraid that your victim is going to stand up and say, me too, or church too. Jesus says to repent. If you need to go back to the person that you victimized, you need to go and you need to make things right. Because you're in a prison and they're in a prison. That might not be appropriate for everybody. You need to talk to somebody with wisdom and get some wise counsel there. But you need to turn. Forgiveness. Don't allow unforgiveness to affect your Christmas. Let's pray. Father, this has been a heavy subject. And this is, this is news that won't go away from our television or our devices or the papers. We are inundated with it right now. But God, there are some silent sufferers. Help set them free. As they apply your word. As they remember how much God you have forgiven them. And God, if they haven't asked for your forgiveness, God, I pray that today would be the, the, the day of their salvation because we can't forgive until you have first forgiven us. God, use your truth to set men and women, boys and girls free. God, as a church, not just our church, but the church across this nation, help us to be people of God who will stand for truth, for righteousness, that justice would prevail. Not just when it's convenient, but Father, regardless of whether what aisle people may be sitting on, God, help us to be people of justice. Not just when it's convenient. Use this time of invitation to heal hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please?